What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. Well, every now and then, Frank and I like to take a deep dive into one of our passions, such as Boris Karloff, the Marx Brothers, the Twilight Zone, and this week, we're cranking the time machine way back to the 1960s and 70s, and what many people consider the golden age of Saturday morning TV. Here to help us regress either for even further into our childhoods are two people who share our particular dysfunction. Jerry Beck is a historian, a producer, a prolific author and blogger, and one of the world's leading authorities on the history of animation. He's written, co-written, and edited over a dozen books on classic American animation and characters, including the 50 greatest cartoons, the animated movie guide, the Hanna-Barbera treasury, the Pink Panther, the ultimate guide to the coolest cat in town, and Looney Tunes, and Merry Melodies, a complete illustrated guide to the Warner Brothers cartoons. He's also co-produced and consulted on home entertainment compilations of Looney Tunes, MGM cartoons, and Disney home video. He operates the widely read blogs Cartoon Research and Animation Scoop, and is a founding member of the Cartoon Network's Advisory Board, as what? well as, as, as a what? <laughs> Advisory. Ad- <laughs> well, that's when they're against each other. They're an advisory board. See, see, this is all the people who are currently fighting, and they're on an advisory board. I see. Because they're adversaries. I got it now. Yeah. Okay. I, stand, I stand corrected. Okay. Plow through it. As well as a presenter and moderator 
of hundreds of panels and live events. Bill Lepp is a comedian, radio host, occasional actor, and pop culture and classic TV fanatic who studied improvisation at Chicago's Second City Theater, performed a comedy nationwide in clubs and on TV, hosted a successful radio shows, and appeared in films including Major League, Major League Two, and he's interviewed some of the most prominent names in Hollywood, including yours truly, Gilbert Gottfried. He's also the host of MeTV's original morning show, Tune In With Me, where he performs in comedy sketches and introduces many of the greatest cartoons ever created, featuring Warner Brothers, Superstars, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and The Roadrunner, and other fan favorites, as well as beloved cartoons featuring Tom and Jerry, Droopy Dog, as well as Popeye cartoons from Max Fleischer. He's also a lifelong collector of memorabilia and has amassed thousands of vintage toys and figurines, including a Joseph Wiseman action figure. (laughs) Not another one. (laughs) Let's welcome to the show... Jerry Beck and Bill Leff. Hey. Yes. I love you. How are you? Welcome, so, Bill. So I would imagine, would that be from uh, Dr. No? He, he did play Dr. No. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the action figure. Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's from yeah. Dr. No. Yeah. No, it's the action figure from Bye Bye Braverman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 it was the first in a series, and that's as far as they went. They didn't yeah. do. Uh, they didn't do George Siegel. They didn't do anyone else. No, there's no Jessica <laughs> Walter. No, it was horrible. What, no, no Sorrel book. No, no. <laughs> what what Gilbert is referring to, as we put it into the intro, which which by the way took 78 minutes to read. <laughs> you guys won't be hearing that. Uh, is we were referring to Bill's uh, extensive toy collection. And 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 collectible uh, collectible collection that's redundant. How long have you been doing it, Bill? And and is is it thousands of items? Literally, I've got just over thirty thousand items in the Good collection. Good God! It takes up two rooms right. in my house, and then there's a lot of other stuff in storage. I just don't have space for. You're and a sick it started man. when I was a little kid. I just I loved pop culture so much. I loved the memorabilia that would come out for any TV show or movie, and I would just buy it and sock it away. And then uh, wow. all of a sudden, you got thirty thousand pieces. And the thing that Gilbert, the item Gilbert is referring to is in your James Bond collection is a Dr. No. Yeah, I have a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, uh, I, every, every time I go in there, and this is the hope I have for anybody that sees my collection, it serves as a time machine, you know, because you see all these figures and collectibles and it puts you back to when it was a simpler time. You were a little younger. You see all the James Bond figures and you remember all those movies so fondly. And I, I, I just love that stuff. I love being in my office is just wall to wall glass cases filled with that stuff. 
Now, I believe the last time we spoke, I brought yes. up a cartoon that it was an old Warner Brothers. I think it was Warner Brothers. And it was, uh, as a kid, very disturbing. And as an adult, uh, very disturbing. And I think I sent a copy and I forgot the name and lost the copy. Oh. Th this was one where Bugs Bunny... Yeah. And Elmer Fudd become old men. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and yes, and Bugs Bunny is digging a grave for <laughs> right. Elmer Fudd. So and I'm dark. going, wait a minute. This is this is just wrong. <laughs> Jerry, you can yeah. certainly speak to this cartoon. Yeah. It's yes. it's the I think it's the old gray hair, I think is the name of it. And uh uh, yeah, that's one where he they flash forward into the future. They also flash back to when they're babies, and uh, it's Bob Clampett cartoon. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's in pretty bad taste. But the thing is, people don't realize that these cartoons were never really aimed at kids in the first place. They were they were shown in movie theaters, and they were aimed at the adult audience. Believe it or not. So uh, as 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 dark as that sounds. Uh, you know, uh, it's 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 really not that you know it's it's it was intended for a certain adult audience, believe it or not. See, I think even though it was for adults, it's still disturbing. Yes, to have <laughs> bugs digging Elmer's grave. Yes, that's horrible. <laughs> it's it's, Tar it's Tarantino esque. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and the other thing I brought up is there was that cartoon about a caveman and his pet dinosaur. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like they're doing a Jack Benny imitation. Yes, that's right. That's exactly what it is. It's, uh, it's uh, here I am. I'm just, you just remember them, and I'll give you the titles and what year <laughs> okay. they came out. You know, okay. that, was, that was an early Chuck Jones. It was Daffy Duck and the Dinosaur. I know they show it on MeTV. Um, and uh, you're right, they are doing a uh, Jack Benny parody in that cartoon, uh, because, well, Jack was the biggest radio star of that era and people knew who he was. And uh, and what happens is we as kids growing up watching those cartoons, we had no idea who who they were imitating or what yes. they were doing. They were just funny anyway. And it is disturbing because there's this crazy, there's like a a, 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 a giant dinosaur that's being blown up, I think it is, or is it a duck? Oh, yes. It's a giant duck or something that's being blown up. Uh, and it's bigger and bigger and it looks mean and... Anyway, that's, again, uh, these and, things are nightmare fuel for our generation. And who was doing the voice of Jack Benny? Believe it or not, uh, I believe it was Jack Laschooley, who was a uh, uh, NBC host. He was one of the Today hosts back in later in the 50s, but he was a radio performer back then. And that's what they used. They used a lot of people off of radio. Uh, the Warner Brothers studio back then was on the uh, Warner Brothers lot. And also on the lot next door to the cartoon studio was KFWB, which was one of the big radio stations in L.A. And they so they had access to all of these radio people that came in and out of uh, the studio there. So was that that was an excellent Jack Benny imitation. Yeah. In that cartoon. I would and like to see you you tour with with Jerry Gill, where you just say, "What was the name of that cartoon?" <laughs> <laughs> and you describe it. Jerry knocks him I, down. I, I, who knew that that would come in handy someday in my <laughs> life? You know, two hours of that in an amphitheater. What were you going to say, Bill? I was just going to say it was very commonplace back then to take matinee idols, comedy stars like the Marx Brothers, W.C. Fields, Frank Sinatra, and incorporate them into the storyline of cartoons. You saw that quite a bit back then, right, Jerry? Well, yeah. 
there were uh, there was a famous one, or maybe more than one, uh, where they go into a Hollywood uh, restaurant and uh, Bogart and Bacola there, and I mm-hmm. think Clark Gable. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, even as a kid, I sort of knew who some of those people were. But when you, you know, this generation today, I don't know if they'd have any idea what was going on. The great thing is about the Warner Brothers cartoons, though, is as dated as some of them are, as as we don't understand what's going on as some of them are, they still work. They're still funny. There's a cartoon. Let me mention this. There's a cartoon I love, a Bob Clampett of Looney Tune one called Book Review. And it's one of those cartoons where they go into a bookstore and all the images on the covers come to life. Mm-hmm. And it's all Hollywood caricatures. But the thing is, if you really step back for a minute, look at that cartoon. It's all books from 1945. Nobody would understand this cartoon today. <laughs> I didn't understand it uh, when I first saw it as a teenager. And yet it works as just a complete, you know, work of bizarre, you know, filmmaking, you know, but it, it works. What's the bogey? What's the bogey? One uh, where Humphrey Bogart, as his character in Treasure of Sierra I was just going to ask that question. <laughs> yes. he, he keeps bugging the, uh, begging <laughs> for the coin. Can you got, stake out a fellow American to a male? Right. Exactly. That was uh, that was eight ball. That was eight ball bunny. And by the way, I do think this is the beginning of a new radio show. Or something that we can do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other one is uh, for some reason animators love to parody of Mice and Men, the Steinbeck novel of oh. Mice and Men. Yeah. Why did quite he go, bit. George? Which way did he go? Sure. Well, people people used to read, but also uh, that movie. <laughs> the movie came out. You know, uh, with the Lone Chaney Jr. Yeah. Uh, and Burgess Meredith. And uh, and that was a big hit. And so, you know, they they just, you know, they went with those broad characters, you know, that that, that movie had and many other movies had. It, it's I mean, that's what's great about the Warner Brothers cartoons again, is that they're really a reflection of the pop culture of that time. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, archaeologists can just go right to social archaeologists can just go right to those Warner cartoons and you know, they can see what was what was popular in the day and what was on people's minds. You know, what's yeah. interesting about that, though, is if you look at the the, the content of that novel yeah. and the movie, it's not particularly fodder for for a cartoon. <laughs> and yet they jumped on it. We, we got to make this into a cartoon. What's yeah, the a, one? Go, go, go ahead. I was going to say there's a there's a screwball squirrel cartoon, a screwy squirrel cartoon that uh, MGM made, Tex Avery, where uh, there's this dumb dog who's very much like Lenny, you know, uh, like the big dumb Lenny character. And he's and through the whole cartoon. He's got like a, a, a dead rat in his pocket. You know, I wow. mean, I think that's in this cartoon, which I think they show on me TV. I mean, yes, we do. You know, yeah, because yeah, in what's the, the movie, one? he has like a dead bird he's carrying yeah. with. Yeah. Bill, what's the one you speaking of celebrity voices? What's the one you showed on um, on Tune In With Me? It, is it a mouse doing Jimmy Durante? Yeah, uh, boy, is it? You know I'm this character. I, I think, I think, I think Hippity Hop. Uh, well, uh, Hippity one, Hoppity. What's that character's name? Uh, uh, hop, hip, hip, what is it? It's, it's not Hoppity Hooper because that was right. a different cartoon. But different it's cartoon. But yeah. but it's it's because uh, I always thought Augie Doggy was doing Durante. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But this this a character doing Durante. Oh yeah, there's a couple of characters. There's one called the Hep Cat with the. Uh, Two cats are uh, trying to uh, impress a, a bird or something, and uh, one of them is a t- totally a Durante. Uh, one for the money, two for the show, you know that kind of thing. And then there was there was what Babbitt and Catstello. Yes, yeah, and we just showed that, that last Gilbert? week. 
Did, yeah, and then there was that. There was the famous rooster that was uh, Foghorn Jimmy Durante. Well, Foghorn oh, no. Leghorn was Senator Claghorn. Yeah, yes. right, right, right. But I think there was another cartoon that it was Jimmy Durante. Oh, well, there's there's one cartoon that they run. Here we go um, with uh, Bugs Bunny with uh, with uh, a Beaky Buzzard, and I believe at the end of the cartoon, just at the end, Beaky Buzzard does a. Uh, uh, Jimmy Durante, you know, kind of thing at the very end of it. Maybe and I'm wrong you, about that. And you were talking about like how they would take current topics and uh, and yeah. throw them into the movies. And when they try to do new versions of the Warner Brothers cartoons and they'll throw in like a new or allegedly hip thing, it, it seems like being forced down your throat. Like, you're supposed to go, oh, that's so hip. I get that one. <laughs> but it's not landing. The punch is not landing, no, right? No. 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 Yeah. Uh, of no. their like, time. There was one time. where he's on the phone, like, with a producer. One of the, and he goes, uh, someone says, Sid Scheinberg on line three. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, uh, if you're a kid, you don't know who Sid Scheinberg <laughs> is. If you're an adult... You have to be in show business <laughs> right. to know who it's a, Spiel, it's a Spielberg and, homage. And yeah. and if you're in show business, you don't think it's funny anyway. You just go, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> How come they can't like with the Space Jam and all those kind of things? They it feels like the characters are totally off. Well, um, my personal belief is that. Um, the Warner Brothers, the great, the classic Warner cartoons from the 1940s and 50s, and I'll even give the 60s in there. Um, I think that was like the Beatles. It was like something that the right people at the right time and the right place uh, created the cartoons, those cartoons that we love. And it's really hard to recreate that magic. You know, that, that's my personal feeling. I also feel that way about like the old Marvel comics from the 60s and things like that. It's Me too. certain people. Certain place, certain time period. I mean, even just recording of Mel Blanc, I found out uh, in some interviews he did that they didn't actually have a recording booth. They actually just took him out to a stage and he had him record, you know, on the same stages that they're filming Casablanca, like they're all off to lunch and they have the, the boom mic. And that's how they get this great sound in those cartoons, a little bit of an echo in there that you just don't hear anywhere else. It doesn't sound like it was recorded in a booth. And it's things like that, little things like that. Carl Stalling and the the, the Warner Brothers Orchestra. Um, mm. fr a friend of mine uh, who's a music uh, musicologist, historian, he came out here one day to L.A., went to, uh, uh, I forgot what it was, ASCAP, BMI, their archives on Vine Street. And he's digging through this stuff. And one day I could come down with him, meet him for lunch. And he's, I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, look, I'm digging through. They've got like, and he shows me, they've got like the, the complete list of the musicians who worked at Warner Brothers on like, you know, July 10th, 1943. And then he goes, look, and this is for this movie. And then at the bottom, it says, we stayed to do cartoon, you know, and it tells you. <laughs> so, so we know we actually have a list. We have the list now of who the musicians were in the cartoons, but that's the thing. They did the cartoons, you know, like at the end of the day for the last half hour, Carl Stalling would take the podium and relieve, uh, you know, uh, Michael Curtiz or no, who would be the, uh, uh, you know, Steiner or somebody like that who was a, a great musician. And uh, they would then just go right into the Looney Tunes. And the story is, is that the musicians loved it. It was like 
goofing off for 10 minutes or a half hour. Oh, I can imagine. Cartoons. I yeah. can imagine. And, yeah. and now when I watch the current ones, I always uh, think like, uh, Bugs Bunny wouldn't say that. And <laughs> right. Daffy Duck would not react that way. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's just a different take. It's kind of like Spielberg doing West Side Story or, you know what I mean? It's, it's a different take on a classic property. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the latest batch that they made recently, you know, for HBO Max, uh, I give them a lot of points for trying their best to try to recreate that feel. And I think they did a pretty good job. Oh, I have That's to see my those. opinion. Yeah. I have to check those out. Bill, let's talk about uh, Tune In With Me, a show, sure. that, Gilbert, that, a show that Gilbert was on. Mm-hmm. And, and, his, and Jerry, his, both. So and far, Jerry, excuse so me. So far, you're the only one, Frank, who's not appeared on the show. <laughs> that will change. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out. All right. Uh, uh, Gilbert's performance uh, and appearance on that show was so memorable, even he doesn't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> But it earned him an Emmy Emmy nomination. Let yeah. me tell you, the show, the, the show which I've heard you describe at one point as a cross between as as Pee Wee's Playhouse meets Sea Hunt. Yes, meets all <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Thank it's, you. It's it's a throwback, and you're you're really a man after our own hearts uh, and the heart of this show because it's it is a throwback to what Gilbert and I and Jerry, all three of us being New Yorkers and you being uh, from Chicago, mm-hmm. we grew up we grew up on these kiddie show hosts. presenting classic material, whether they were cartoons of the day, whether they were stooges, in uh, in our case with Officer Joe Bolton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's the genesis of Tune In With Me? I mean... The genesis is based on what you just said in that we all had this this growing up period where on a daily basis, a lot of times before school, uh, a a city would have a show that would show cartoons and you had a personality with some puppets or sidekicks. And then after school, you certainly had that. And then on the weekends, you had the networks providing you with, you know, uh, cartoons. But there was something so magical for, for anyone who remembers those times. It was just the most carefree, perfect thing before school, after school, and on Saturday mornings to just sit back and let the world fly by and just have such a good time watching these characters. And here in Chicago, we had some that were just so inspirational. And for years, people said, why can't that work anymore? That should still be around today. Mm-hmm. And the bosses here at MeTV said, yeah, let's let's make that work again. And a little over a year ago, we put it up. And from day one, the response was, I, you know, I thought I was 58 years old. I thought I was 62 years old, but suddenly I'm 11 again. I feel so good watching these shows. And we're trying to capture the essence of what the hosts did, but we're updating it. You know, I've had this theory all along about how attention spans have changed. And maybe that's for the good and maybe it's not for the good, but you really have to pack more punch into everything you do now just to keep people's attention. So we're, we're trying to make it a throwback show, but mm-hmm. with today's sensibilities, it's a mixture of the two. And I remember there was uh, Captain Jack McCarthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Three and bells and all as oh, well. Zachary. Yeah. Right. Well, he did, yeah. uh, he did a horror show like Svengooley, right? Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all, we had officer Joe Bolton Gill. Oh, Yes, yes. And we we had, and two people we had on this show, uh, they were different kinds of kitty hosts, but we had Chuck McCann here, and we had uh, the late, great Sonny Fox. Sonny Fox, sure. Who who we just lost, who was an institution, and you just lost a Chicago institution. Yeah, Bill Jackson, Jackson. who was BJ on Cartoon Town, just passed away about a week or so Mm -hmm. ago. And he, I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life who said, I was so inspired by that guy. I didn't want to be a cartoonist, I didn't want to be in show business. (laughs) But he just said, whatever you want to be, 
You can be. There's a way to, to be whatever your dream is. And that stuck with us forever. And I remember the host every now and then would like stop in the middle of the show and, and uh, show you how to comb your hair sure. and brush your teeth. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, oh, Bill, does, Bill does that. Yeah. Not yeah. even on the show. I just walk up to strangers. <laughs> you walk the kids through a light flossing, don't you, Bill? I've done that, yeah. What what kind of mail are you getting? I mean, is it is it mostly, is it uh, people like us, who, you know, uh, throwback people, uh, People, uh, retro people, or are you getting? Right. Are you turning new ki kids onto a new product? To uh... I play this game with myself, Frank. Is I look at the envelope and I try to figure out what the letter inside will be. Will this be from somebody <laughs> our age, somebody <laughs> younger, somebody older? Well, a combination. Well, yeah. And it's been such a nice cross section of people. And the one that I love the most is it's adults who say, "I watch the show because it transforms me into a kid again." I see these cartoons that I grew up with. I feel like I know you guys from watching you every day. I feel like it's a it's a it's a bridge to what I used to watch as a kid. And then the kids watch it because they're discovering these cartoons for the very first time, you know. And they're they're so used to one kind of show or animated uh, program, and they're really seeing the classics. They're seeing the Looney Tunes mm -hmm. classics and the Popeye classics and the Betty Boop. And they can't. It, it's shocking for a kid to see that much animation because they don't do it that way anymore. Of course, right. it's shocking to me that someone's sending you physical mail. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll come back to tune to tune in with me because uh, we all have a fondness for for that kind of show. And uh, you know, and Gilbert was a was a was a uh, he was a presenter on Up All Night. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. USA, yeah. I mean, he yeah. wasn't a monster host, and he wasn't yeah. a kitty host, but he was a... And I wrote for a show called Commander USA's Groovy Movies that only Jerry remembers. Yes, I remember it. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what took place on it, that show? Because the name is show, familiar. It was on USA. It was on USA Network. It was a guy named Jim Hendricks who was like a... He was a low-rent superhero who drew on his own mask and smoked oh. a stogie. Yeah. yeah. And we would show grades. We'd show the same stuff that was in rotation that Gilbert showed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because it was the same. We were pulling from the same library. It, it was usually the ones USA Up All Night showed were like these really bad tits and ass teen comedies with all the tits and ass cut out of them. <laughs> oh, all right. So you could concentrate on the dialogue. I right. <laughs> Well-written dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, Jerry, on the subject of, of uh, politically incorrect cartoons, we had Al Roker here, another New Yorker. Oh, yeah. Was, he, was here about uh, four months ago. We were talking about those Dick Tracy cartoons. Oh, yeah. Which are practically unshowable now yeah. because yeah. <laughs> his, his, his whole police department was stereotypes, including <laughs> including Hippo Calorie, who's yeah. like fat shaming. You know, you can't yeah. do it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, what do we have? Uh, go, go, Gomez and yeah, uh, go, Joe go, Jitsu. Gomez. That's Joe right. Jitsu and yeah. Gogo Gomez, and yeah. uh, it was oh, there a was, Chinese one. There was a there was also yeah. Spanish one, I think, and uh, uh, I mean, and there was of course a Beatnik. There was uh, Nick the Beatnik. Oh, you remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. Officer Joe Bolton presented those, Gil. Yes, and he did. Yeah. You know what? He did a tag. He would go Dick Tracy, and then it would cut to the cartoon like Dick was talking to him. Does oh, cool! Remember that? Oh, I remember. On the on the, on the oh, and, radio, and that. The voice of Dick Tracy was Everett Sloan. That's right. Very good, wow. Gilbert. How the mighty had fallen. Yeah, from Citizen Kane to, uh, to racist Dick Tracy. What's really funny is you got to find this. There's a, uh, a Soaky Toys commercial that you can find on YouTube. It's And they used to mix up and make, uh, you know, uh, uh, cartoon characters as a Soaky Toys. And they would mix up different studios and make commercials with them together. So... 
There's a Dick Tracy one with Everett Sloan's voice, and he's talking to Muskie from the uh, Deputy Dog Show. I don't know if you remember that one, but Muskie's like this, you know, <laughs> kind of a, uh, a redneck character from the Deep South. The whole thing is weird. You got to check it now, out. Now, Deputy Dog, was that the one imitating Andy uh, Griffith? <laughs> Oh uh, uh, no! You're thinking of Huckleberry Hound, maybe? Yeah, oh, Huckleberry Hound. But I think I think the idea of Deputy Dog is definitely there's an influence from the Andy yeah, Griffith I, show. I definitely yeah. remember. Now, also because I was always a monster fan, I used to watch Milton the Monster. Oh yeah, that yes, was great. I, I, I warned Jerry about this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, Milton the Monster. Yeah. And uh, without further ado, ah. Uh, Five drops of essence of terror, six drops of sinister sauce. When the stirring's done, can I lick the spoon? Ha ha, of course. Better hold your breath, it's starting to tick. Better hold my head, I'm feeling sick. What have I done? It's Milton, your brand new son. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful, beautiful. Gilbert. Very strange. That was stunning. Oh, Gilbert, I'm crying. Bill, do we remember Milton the Monster? <laughs> I sure do. Most people cry when I sing. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, can you? Can, he also can sing the theme song to Roger Ramjet, which will come later in the oh. show. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Yes. Well, but Bill, I'll do it now. Go yeah. ahead. Where <laughs> Roger Ramjet and his eagles fighting for our freedom. We fly with him through outer space, not to help him, but to feed him. Roger Ramjet, he's our man. Hero of our nation. For more adventures, just make sure to stay tuned to, to this, this station. station. Oh. Gilbert, here's an idea. It's okay. you at Madison Square Garden just singing cartoon <laughs> themes for two hours. <laughs> People I'm would there. love that. I would go. To an empty guys... arena. Yeah, right. <laughs> why, why, Bill, Bill, you can tackle this one. Why the hell? Uh, Milton the Monster from Hal Seeger. Uh, studios, yeah. right, Cherry? Why Why on earth was was the decision made that Milton the Monster should sound like Gomer Pyle? <laughs> <laughs> on top of Old Horror Hill, in a secret laboratory, Professor Weirdo and Count Kook were in their monstrous glory. Six drops of the essence of terror, five drops of sinister sauce. When the stirring's done, may I like the spoon? Of course, ha ha, of course. Now for the tincture of tenderness, but I must use only a touch. For without a touch of tenderness, it might destroy me. Looks too much. Better hold your breath, it's starting to tick. Better hold my hand, I'm feeling sick. Hello, Daddy. What have I done? I'm Milton, your brand new son. I don't know. You know, they tried so hard. There have been so many Saturday morning shows that have tried to capture the essence of scary movies. And Groovy Ghoulies is a great example yeah, of that. Yeah, Groovy Ghoulies. Uh, King Kong is a great example of that. King Kong, you know the name of King, King Kong, Kong. You know the fame, you know of, the fame King of King Kong. Ten times, times the size of, size of a man. man. Yep, All right, you, yep. you guys are touring. Forget Jerry. <laughs> Forget me. I'm not. <laughs> We're the new Sunny and Cher. <laughs> Without the skis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I just think, you know, that that's a good target. You know, you go after something people already know. Remember the Monster Squad was on for a while. Sure. Right? Certainly like all later. the Scooby-Doo. The yeah, Drac, right. The Drac Pack. Oh, the Drac oh, yeah. Pack. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There was a Daffy I just like Duck that one, Hanna- too. Oh, right, right, right. I like that Hanna-Barbera hit gold with Scooby-Doo and then kept ripping themselves off with yeah. Goober and the Ghost Chasers right. and the Funky Phantom. <laughs> Funky Phantom. <laughs> exactly. Gil- yeah. Gilbert... Gilbert gets a kick out of the fact that uh, that you had real celebrities playing themselves, right? Yeah, at, at, next to a talking dog. Yeah, yes. so it's like here's a talking dog, and here's Mama Cass, <laughs> right? And, and they were Don never Adams. doing anything funny, right? Like I remember they had Jonathan Winters on. Now Jonathan Winters did a thousand different voices, and he was really quick with improv and. Uh, He'd be there talking and goes, oh, hi, welcome to my house. Yes, yes, yes I will help you on your plan. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the second half of your act at Madison Square Garden is doing the voices of the celebrities in Scooby-Doo. One of the characters, I think Hebe, one of the ghoul on oh, yeah. the monster, was, was, Peter, was a Peter Laurie. Yes. I, think, I think it was Bob McFadden. Yeah, uh, actually, Gil- Gilbert, give the give the boys a little bit of your Peter Laurie, because uh, yes. that's that's what they came for. No, it's you who ruined it. <laughs> you with your stupid attempt to buy it. Kevin the found out how valuable it was. No wonder we had such an easy time getting it. You idiot! You bloated fathead! <laughs> Do Chuck Laurie. oh that's so good gilbert that's so good that's so good one one former guest uh we had on uh was bela lugosi jr oh and bela lugosi jr is a lawyer and he cracked down on you know just using celebrity voices without paying them yeah He's, he's part of the three stooges thing right doesn't he uh is yeah. he the Three Stooges lawyer? Yeah, he got. Like he, yeah, he got them. He, he got the uh, the heirs and the family some uh, some money, some residuals. You know, who's going to say no to the son of a vampire? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of voices, another one. Since we're, we're never, now we're we're segueing to Saturday morning here, another one that uh, that Gilbert is obsessed with. Gilbert, if I may <laughs> speak for you. <laughs> Are the are the voices on the 1960s Beatles cartoons? Oh yeah! Oh really? Yeah. 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 It's Paul like, Freeze, right? Paul Freeze doing John. Freeze. Think, yeah. It felt like not even an effort was right. made to make it. <laughs> it, it was like the, one of them was like Ronald Coleman, and <laughs> right. it was and it was like hi, I'm Ringo Starr, <laughs> and I'm your drummer. <laughs> 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 it's in the contract. They can't sound at all like the Beatles. But you know what's weird about that is if you watch Yellow Submarine, the Beatles weren't doing their own voices through most know. of Yellow sure, Submarine. Sure. So right. you could certainly have found those actors or similar actors well, to I think, Yeah. I think you want to pay them. No, that was Yellow Submarine, most people don't realize, was actually made by the same studio that made the Beatles TV cartoons. Yep. It was an attempt to keep the cartoons going. Uh, and and I believe it was one of those things where the Beatles had a deal with United Artists for three pictures and they didn't want to do the third one because now they were visiting the Maharishi a lot and all that. And so the uh, somebody got the brainstorm to uh, to uh, fulfill the contract and also keep the Beatles cartoon studio 
going. And apparently, the story is uh, they knew when they started making a feature, uh, it was a feature, and they they upped their game. They hired some really top directors and designers. And uh, apparently, the Beatles couldn't care less about this. They, you know, contractually obligated to check it out at one point, way deep into production. They saw it, and they were like, "This is good." You know, yeah. we want we want to be in it. And that little that mm-hmm. thing of them at the end was added on their insistence. They wanted to be in the movie. They, yeah. they, they didn't realize it was going to be actually a good film. That's why the other story on that film is that they gave the producers, they were under contract to give them four new songs. So they gave them four B-sides that they had no intention of putting on disc at all. Like Hey Bulldog and All Together Now were not meant, they were, they were like cast off recordings. And they just, those of course have become classic tracks for the Beatles. So sure. Sure. let's point and out some more I trivia. I remember that- when I found out years ago that that wasn't the Beatles. Yeah. I was, sh- I think everybody, <laughs> everyone assumed that was, that they were really well, good. Well, it's the same, it's the same year. Everybody was shocked that the monkeys didn't play their own music. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the Beatles aren't the Beatles. <laughs> Gil, were you also shocked to find out that the Ronald Coleman guy wasn't really, uh, John Lennon. (laughs) I think it's Paul Freeze doing a weird Ronald Coleman thing as John, uh, which I really cannot explain at all. Frank, that's strange because Paul Freeze is a very talented voiceover artist. And yet with the Beatles, he just didn't make any sense. Plus, almost everything else about those cartoons was done in England, except Paul Freeze. I don't understand that either, you know. And our friend Jack Mendelson, our late friend Jack Mendelson, somebody somebody that Jerry and I both knew was a writer on those cartoons and a writer on Yellow Submarine. Well, you know, I I can give you some backstory on it. Just that the uh, uh, King Features Syndicate, the people who own Popeye, um, uh, they bought quickly in like 1962, 63, the the cartoon rights to the Beatles, the animated, and that King Features put on that show and uh, uh, the infamous Al Brodax, a name oh, yeah. we all know from the quickly made Popeye cartoons of the 60s, and he made Beetle Bailey cartoons and things like that. And uh, 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 Paul Fries was part of the voice casts of all of those things as well. So I kind of think there was a connection between uh, you know, Paul Fries, Al Brodax, and he was the producer, Al Brodax, of the feature uh, Yellow Submarine. So there's Correct. Very connection good. there. And I Very think good. Paul Freeze did the voice of the Cyclops in the Cyclops. Oh, did he? With, yeah. with Lon Chaney Jr. And where, oh. where the voice was just basically. <laughs> he basically it basically sounded like the dogs in the soupy sale show. <laughs> right. White Fang. Yeah. Gilbert, what if he would have nailed John Lennon's voice for the Cyclops movie, but he couldn't get anywhere near it for the Beatles? <laughs> I wonder if they're still using Believable. Paul Freeze. The last time I was in the Haunted Mansion in uh in Disney oh, yeah. World, Paul Paul Freeze's voice is still yeah. Being used, yeah. Still being used all these years later. Sure. And, Here's- and another cartoon uh, with that I would watch, and that was uh, Top Cat. Yeah. Which was basically like... Uh, Bilko. You know, Sergeant yeah, Bilko. Bilko yeah. with uh, Arnold Stang as Phil Silvers. <laughs> now, yes. there, once again, why didn't they get Phil Silvers? <laughs> well, and, they were ripping it off. I mean, yeah, why, I guess that's... <laughs> you know. Why, why didn't why they did, get Jackie Gleason to play Fred? I heard with that, uh, uh, Gleason was going to sue the honeymooners. 
You mean and, no, sue the Flintstones. Yeah. Galicia yeah. was going to sue the Flintstones, and somebody <laughs> said to Jackie, uh, uh, <laughs> "Do you want to be known as the man who killed Fred Flintstone?" <laughs> <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs, streaming tonight only on Disney+. Plus. Here's a question for you, Bill. I'm going to give you your choice. All right. Do you, do you want a question about a bizarre cartoon called Colonel Bleep? I don't know Colonel Bleep. Okay, how about this one? Uh, this is from Marty Richardson. What about the superhero cartoon from the 60s called Super 6? Oh, yeah. Where oh, did it Jerry, go? help me out on that one. Where what was did it the Super go? Six? Well, the Super Six is a cartoon uh, me TV should grab because uh, it's from MGM. It's uh, it was uh, a parody of superheroes uh, in 1966, and it's uh, it was done by DePatty Freeling. It was the first uh, TV cartoon done by the same people who did the Flint, uh, excuse me, the Pink Panther, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was super boing. Anybody remember this uh, Granite Man? I do. Um, trying to remember the names of the characters. There was uh, Granite Man. There was oh god. Was there was the uh, Super Super Boing Elevator Man? Elevator Man, Granite Man, yeah, and uh, Captain Zamo. Or it was originally in the first episode of the show that was aired. It was called Captain Whammo, and then the Whammo Toy Company sued them oh, immediately, wow. and they had to change it to Captain Zamo. But again, nobody remembers this cartoon anymore. But it's actually pretty funny. Uh, Paul Freeze is all over it. Of course. Um, and, uh, you know, it's good. The other cartoon, I don't know if somebody mentions it or not. I have to mention it here. My favorite, the second to Patty Freeling cartoon for Saturday morning, Super President. Oh, yeah. Anybody somebody here, one of our listeners brought it up. Wow. Su- Super President yeah. needs to be revived. That's the flip side. It's, uh, Super Six was intentionally funny. This one was unintentionally funny. It's about the president of the United States is a superhero he puts on a mask, and uh, his his chief of staff is his sidekick, and they start and they infiltrate other countries and you know blow people up, you know. And he's the president. It's like they know who he is. He says his, <laughs> it's in his name. <laughs> Just go to the White House to pick up this psychopath. <laughs> you know? uh, by the way, Super Six had a bitchin' theme song by Gary yes, Lewis and the Playboys. Yep. It does. Really? Yes, That's, Bill. So, wow. yeah, we 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 uh, we want you to check that out. And I'll make a segue here because I brought up Gary Lewis, and we were talking before we turned the mics on about his daddy and and the cartoon. <laughs> Will the real Jerry Lewis please sit please down? Sit down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and Bill and you what you were starting to tell us a story about that one. Jerry was very fond of that show. I was fortunate enough to interview him uh, several years ago, and we talked about that cartoon. I said it was a, a favorite of mine. And he got very angry and he said, the network pulled it too soon. He was very upset. And I said, yeah, that could have, and I was kidding. And I go, that could have gone 10 or 12 years easily. He goes, maybe longer. You know, he was very upset (laughs) that they pulled that cartoon. But I have a similar story. You know, when they did Stoney Curtis on the Flintstones, Uh a parody of Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis found out about it and called them and said, I want to play myself. I want to be Stoney Curtis. And he was, he did his own voice on that show. Yeah, it was Stoney Curtis and Ann Margrock. Ann Margrock. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And do you remember who the Jetsons had? They had a similar star that was parodied. Ooh. Gina Lola Jupiter. Oh, oh my God. Bless your heart, Bill. Yeah. And now, up I that. remember a cartoon vaguely. And I want to see if either one of you know the title of this. I think it took place either probably in the jungle. And there was a bird that sounded. It was a Jack Lemon imitation. Wow. Wow. What would that have been? I well, think that might be Linus the Lionhearted as the show. I, I could be wrong. I'd have, to, I'd have to research it. Wow, Gilbert. That is a stumper. Yeah, yeah that is a stumper. If, if these guys don't know it, it can't be yeah. known. <laughs> uh, I have my books behind me, but I don't have any. I have to look everything up. You mentioned 60s. You, you mentioned uh, uh, 66, uh, Jerry, as, as yeah. uh, all the superheroes. Batman was the big thing in, in yeah. popular culture that year. So many superhero shows. I mean, not just the Super Six, which we talked about, and Super President. Uh, the New Adventures of Superman, using yeah. Bud Collier's voice, the old, the old Superman from the radio. Right. And uh, the Mighty Heroes. Oh, yeah. That was uh, Ralph Bakshi. Ralph Bakshi. Uh, one of his first uh, creations uh, sold out to CBS. He was part of the Terry Toons studio. That was also the end of the line of the Terry Toons studio. Terry Toons was the studio most famous for Mighty Mouse, Heckle and Jekyll, uh, Deputy Dog we mentioned before, and mm -hmm. uh, dozens of other characters that are forgotten today, unfortunately. Do you remember they tried to make the Harlem Globetrotters into oh, yeah. superheroes in that cartoon? Of course. Another one where they didn't fight uh, guest stars on. Sure. To yeah. They, well, just be, yeah. They did a strange thing. They had a superhero show in the 60s, um, and one of, that was called The Impossibles. Like oh, was, Frankenstein Jr. and The Impossibles. Jr. And the, right, those two separate cartoons on one half hour. Yeah. And The Impossibles were like multi-man. Coil like man. Coil man, right. And fluid and man. Fluid man. Yes. And so when they <laughs> decided to do the Harlem Globetrotters, the superheroes. I, I love them well. They, they reused the animation. So one of them was fluid man and one of them was <laughs> coil man. It didn't make any sense. And then I could be wrong about this. Somebody else out there will re will refresh my memory. But I they also did like the three robotic stooges yes. later yeah. on. You and remember that, that was, Gilbert? They also reused the animation <laughs> from the impossibles for that. Yeah. Presenting Frankenstein Jr. at the impossibles. Ten. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, go. Impossibles, coil man. He makes the scene when things look mean. Impossibles, fluid man. On the spot, the spot that's hot, impossibles. Multiman. Makes like a crowd, no crooks allowed. Impossibles, impossibles, impossibles. I, I would assume there were no real stooges providing their voices. They were robotic stooges. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember, this is before... Uh, Lagosi Jr. cracked down on it. There were those two, uh, there was uh, uh, Count Chocula oh, yeah. and Frankenberry. Yeah. It had like Karloff yep. and Lagosi. Frankenberry yeah. voiced by Bob McFadden. And, and Booberry and Fruit Brute right, and Yummy right. Mummy. Yes, yes, very good. Bill. And Booberry was a Peter Lorre. 
Yeah. Imitation. Yep. Yep. And and there was Quisp and Quake. And sure. Quake, I think, was John Wayne imitation. And Quisp was a Jerry yeah. Lewis. Oh, yeah. there it is. Oh, shit. <laughs> Frank, has Frank is wearing a Quisp T-shirt. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'll send you one. I put it on for this special episode. Here are some more superheroes, guys, from, from 66, 66, and it carried over to 67. Uh, Jerry, we were talking about Batfink and Karate. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. from Hal Seeger. Spider-Man debuted in 67 and the Fantastic Four. And from Hanna-Barbera, Birdman and oh, yeah. the Galaxy Trio. Yeah. Mitor, the Herculoids, and, of course, Space Ghost. Right, which have all been immortalized by being parodied on, on, on uh, Cartoon Network. Uh, you know, uh, the Hanna-Barbera superheroes are pretty cool in a way. Uh, Space they're, Ghost. They're, they're cool to me now. Yeah, Space Gar- Ghost was Gary very Owens. original. You know, yeah, that's and, right, and, Gary Owens. And then both both Abbott and yeah. Costello and the oh, yeah. Three Stooges yep. had cartoons made. Uh, the real Abbott was in the Abbott and Costello one. Yep. And, and Abbott was like... Hey, Lou. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, well, as soon as on first, what's Hey, know. Gilbert, <laughs> Beatrice Arthur did the voice for Abbott and Costello? Oh, come on. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Stu Irwin doing Lou, Lou Costello, Jerry? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, those are funny. I mean, the, the, the Three Stooges ones were actually produced by that same studio that did Clutch Cargo, but they spared us the live-action lips. And uh, they had this. the real, real Moe and Larry. We're in it, I think. The real, mo- I think you're right. Yeah, and Curly, yeah. Curly Joe. I did yeah. not know that. And yeah. Curly right. Joe, this is what drives me crazy. Yeah. Curly Joe, in one of the lawsuits, Curly <laughs> Joe wound up with uh, all the Three Stooges money. Really? And I'm saying Curly Joe, uh, <laughs> I, I keep hearing stories like, oh, you know, on on his own, he made films. He was hysterical. And I go, <laughs> Well, how come he didn't show any of that in the Three Stooges movies? He was, right, he, it just looked like, oh, this guy's fat, he's bald. Uh, good all you need. <laughs> Here's if, a, if Curly Joe's middle name was Shemp, you know, think about yeah. it. Curly Shemp Mo. Yeah, everything's hey, there. Joe. Yeah, Joe, Joe Besser, you know. Anyway, all right, here's a weird twist on the, on the Three Stooges. There was a cartoon in the 60s called Genie about yes. a young genie and her genie family. And the voices were provided by Joe Besser of the yep. Three Stooges yes. wow. and Mark Hamill, who I think went on to play Luke Skywalker. It's yes, wow. he did. Yes, he did. Bill, so, that is so, good stuff. And when was this on? In the early 60s, 64, 65. Oh, no, 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 right no, 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 no. More like the early 70s. I think. Oh, was it that yeah, late? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mark, it was before was Mark Star Hamill, Wars. But yeah. Was Mark Hamill born? Yes. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> it was the idea of Mark Hamill doing the he, voice. He, Mark Hamill is is major big in voiceovers. Yeah. Now, now he, he really is. is. He does yeah. the Joker a wonderful job as the Joker in the animated Batman. Really yeah. good in that. Yeah. Bill, were you a Johnny Quest guy? Very much. One yeah. of my all time favorites. We, we had Tim Matheson here on the podcast. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I would argue that that theme song, that jazzy riff they play at the beginning, Hoy is Curtin. one of the best theme songs of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. The great Hoy I Curtin. agree. Yeah, I think I think Tim, if you if you talk to him and uh, check out our episode with him, I mean, he has very fond memories of of working. Was it Don Messick, uh, uh, Jerry, and yeah. uh, and uh, um, all of those people? Um, yeah, he, that was he, a, people forget that was also a primetime series. Yeah, uh, the, that one season that it was on, it was not again, it wasn't really aimed entirely at children but uh 
Jerry, was there- that's the strangest thing, though, is, is that show and there's other shows like it mm-hmm. that only last a season or maybe two. And yet they're just they're in your head forever. Yeah. Part of it's because they immediately went to Saturday morning with the Jetsons and, and Johnny Quest and right. literally ran them forever for like 10, 15 years on Saturday morning. So people grew up with those shows. You know, it's 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 pretty incredible. Was it one season of the Jetsons recycled yep. over and over and over again? Yes. Yeah. Somewhere around 1985 or something, they wanted to syndicate them and you needed 65 episodes to syndicate and they realized they only had like 26 episodes of the Jetsons. So they made like another 34 or something like that. And uh, d- the difference is, you know, very noticeable, you know. Uh, and, and there's there's a famous story uh, about the time that Mel Blanc uh, got into a car accident that nearly killed him. And uh, it was, you know, he was at the height of his career. Yeah. And he was in a coma. Yeah. And now, do you, could either one of you tell that story? It's a very touching story. Uh, well, I think what you're going for is uh, he was in a horrible car accident. He was bandaged from head to toe. Um, uh, he almost died. Uh, he was in a coma, right? Uh, and um, uh, they uh, tried to revive him at the hospital. I mean, I'm talking like a month, you know, yeah, or something. Yeah, they, they kept tried, saying, yeah. Mel, 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 Mr. And Blank, and Mr. And finally, Blank. And finally, I think the doctor said something to him as he said, uh, Bugs Bunny or something like that. And uh, he addressed him as Bugs Bunny. And Mel, I think, responded like saying, what's up, Doc? He, started, he responded yeah. in the voice of, of his character. And uh, that was the beginning of him. They also recorded him in the hospital in bandages, photographs of this, doing the Flintstones, uh, doing Bugs Bunny cartoons and Kool-Aid commercials and things. Um, and uh, eventually, obviously, he recovered. By the way, I want a, a postscript story to that. I thought you were going for this was uh, we were talking about the Jetsons. But uh, George O'Hanlon, who is the mm-hmm. voice of George, he was the uh, star of those uh, Joe McDokes comedies, if you know those. And um, uh he literally died in the booth, I believe. Now, again, I'm probably Jeez. somebody's listening say that's not exactly right, but wow. But he he basically they were doing these new uh, uh, Jetsons. I believe he, he he worked also on that Jetsons the movie that came out. If you remember that, it was not a big in, hit. in, in the '80s, maybe or yeah, I think or, it was. Or, or, but it was, early that was 90s. like the, the last thing he did, and he died like right at the end. And I think he recorded either all his lines or maybe he had one one or two more lines to go, and they got somebody in to match him, but. Uh, you know, that's a case where, I mean, you know, right up to the end, doing doing a voice like that. It, it's funny. It's like, I think with Jan and Dean, like one of them got brain damaged. In, yeah, uh, in a and, car accident. And a Jan Barry. What they said was he had a lot of trouble talking. He couldn't speak, but he was able to sing the songs. Mm-hmm. So God, God I of- hope that never happens with you, Gilbert. He can still I, do his imitations. I, yes. I speak for America. Yeah, and so I think it's kind of the way with Mel Blanc. Like it, like a separate part of his brain had those characters. Wow. Well, there's a story, and Jerry, you can confirm or deny this, but I've heard the story for years is that when they're making feature-length films, they record the older actors and actresses first, just in case. You know, they just want to make <laughs> oh, sure. They do that now. Ever since the Jetsons movie, they definitely yeah. do that. That's true with about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of famous actors, and I'm not, I don't have the list. One of the readers will. 
But there are a lot of famous actors, and I'm talking like Leonard Nimoy, or Orson Welles. Their last movie was an animated fe a feature of some sort. If yeah. you look on IMDb, you'll Orson see- Orson Welles, I think it was Transformers. Yeah, I think that might've been his last movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about it, Everett Sloan, you know. No, mm -hmm. no, I hope I, that's true. I heard like <laughs> Humphrey Bogart toward the end. He was sick, and I guess he was having trouble, you know, with his pronunciation. And they wanted to find a Humphrey Bogart impersonator to fill in certain lines. And according to what I heard, the Humphrey Bogart impersonator was Peter Sellers. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> wow. I know Rich Little looped David Niven in the in the last Panther uh Oh yeah. Oh. yeah. Yes, short, I think I end. think David Niven and then later on Pete, uh as Clouseau. Interesting. Oh. And, uh this is from Mike Herman. He says, You guys will love Bill Leff, a great Chicago radio personality. Oh, that's well, so it's, nice. It's true, we do love him. And Richie Lamano, uh I love Bill and I love uh tune in with me. Please have Bill tell us uh, one dream cartoon he would like to present on the show one day, hmm. but has uh, not had an opportunity one, one to. One that you don't have the rights to, I think, is what they're implying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, there was a cartoon that has been parodied before. Does anyone remember C-Lab 2020? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. So when I was a kid, to me, that's really what the year 2020 was going to look like. I 100% bought in. And we, we, of course, don't look anything like that. But I always thought, oh, man, the future is going to be so great. It's just like C-Lab 2020. So I would love to run an episode or two of that. You know, I'm sure we wouldn't be able to, but that would make me smile really big. Imagine what you imagine what you could do with Tune In if, if you guys got some stuff from the Hanna-Barbera Hanna Library. Yeah. yeah. You thought that in 2020, the world would be submerged underwater? Is that yes. <laughs> that could never happen, could it? Because uh -uh. both of you were saying, when's Gilbert going to sing again? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when criminals in this world appear and break the laws that face us dear and frighten those who see and hear, the cry goes out for far and near for underdog. 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 <laughs> Underdog, <laughs> underdog, speed of lightning, roar of thunder, frighten those who rob or blunder. Underdog, oh, underdog. Beautiful. Gilbert, would you, first of all, amazing. Second yes. of all, would you agree that that was one of those cases where when you saw Wally Cox, because he used to be on Hollywood Squares all the time. Sure, sure. Your brain would not accept the fact that that human being <laughs> yes. could be underdog. Yes. Right. Right. I was like that with Alan Reed. He's he was in some oh, movies, yeah. and every time Alan Reed would show up in a movie, he's the voice of Fred Flintstone. Sure. You'd say, "There's no way. That's a guy. That's a real guy. He can't yeah. be a prehistoric a guy." I remember right. when I was a kid uh, watching uh, the Postman Rings twice mm -hmm. on TV. And I remember going, wait a minute, that's, that's Fred Flintstone. Jerry, yeah. tell us about Underdog since he brought it up. Was that, my research, that, that was, it was a show created basically because a New York ad agency got the, got the, the, the General Mills account 
And yeah. they, cr- they created these characters really as an excuse to sell breakfast cereal? Of course. That's absolutely what happened. No, uh, and NBC got all behind. It's amazing that that cartoon had a balloon in the Thanksgiving Day Parade for decades, it seemed. Yes. Uh, but uh, it was produced in New York. Uh, Total Television was the name of that Total studio. Television. That's yeah. right. And um, uh, I don't even know what much more to say, except that I enjoyed it at the time. I really liked that Jerry, show. Jerry, the same thing happened with the Sugar Bear cartoon, right? Didn't That's they make, right. That's they made a cartoon? Good yeah, point. And this is all leading to the fact that a few years later, uh, there was like a major government crackdown on that sort of cartoon. But yeah, Sugar Bear was part of uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 lion. Uh, oh gosh, uh, Linus, Linus the Lionhearted, yeah. right? And the whole Good. the whole cast of that show. Two things about that: every one of the characters fronted their own cereal, you know, mm-hmm. in, including uh, the racist Hilo, who is the uh, a Chinese character. Who uh, for uh, sugar crinkles? Oh, uh, and, oh uh, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember those. And there was uh, there was the postman for alphabets. That's and, right. Uh, That's you know, right. And it was all sorts of things. And the sugar bear became a superstar from that from that show. He was a bit player, but no. And uh, but the other thing about that show, if you look into it, was that the the voice cast is unbelievable. It was like Sheldon Leonard and Carl Reiner, and it's like a who's who. Which, which show are you talking about? I'm talking about Linus the Lionhearted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Look into that. Sugar, Sugar Bear was made to sound like Bing Crosby. That's right. Very yeah. good. Oh, here comes that singing bear again to steal my post Sugar Crisp cereal. I'll change my house into a haunted house and scare him away forever. Granny! Ah, haunted house. Here you are, Lancelot. Hey, Spook, come back with that post-Sugar Crisp cereal. Sugar Bear, the Sugar Crisp is in the grandfather's glove. Thanks, Spook, whoever you are. Easy, bat boy, I got very little flying experience. Ah, safe land. Granny, fancy meeting you here. I'll take that. Sugar crisp, honey of a snack, honey flavored wheat that's sugar, 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 sugary sweet. Oh, I can't get enough of that sugar crisp. Sugar You've got crisp. Got a nice sugar singing crisp. voice, sugar. You can get sugar crisp in post tens too. Post cereals make breakfast mm, a little bit better. And yeah. and Simon Bar Sinister on Underdog was made to sound like Lionel Barrymore. Yes, yes he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it even had Lionel Barrymore's bushy eyebrows. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Jay Ward, which you know I, I labored under the misconception for years, uh, Jerry, that 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 Underdog was a Jay Ward production. Yeah, I don't think they shared any designers, or maybe they did, but Jay Ward was in L.A. and uh, I think it, the connection was General Mills and the cereal. Remember. The original uh, Rocky and His Friends was brought to you by Cheerios mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And so there was some kind of a sponsor connection to those p- shows. And in fact, one of the shows, um, Uncle Waldo or H- and Hippity Hopper, they, they had a special show that was a combination of total television uh, cartoons and Jay Ward cartoons. So uh, people like us could be completely confused decades later, you know. And they uh, had Hippity Hopper and Hoppity yeah. Hooper. Those coexisted. They did. Well, one of them was Warner Brothers and the other one was uh, Jay Ward of some sort. And let's talk about all the people who worked on the uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. Geniuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bill Scott. Mm -hmm. Yep. Bill Scott. Yeah. The the announcer. uh, He was a detective in a series. Oh, William William Conrad was the announcer. William Conrad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
and Paul Jake Freeze. and the Fat Man. Paul yeah. Freeze. Paul Freeze and J uh, June Foray were, and Dawes Butler was yep. one of the main voices on there as well. And I believe Alan Burns, I believe, who went on to do like the Mary Tyler Moore yes, show. Yes, in fact, we just like lost that. Alan Burns yeah. mm -hmm. last year. Now, yeah. was George Butler the voice of uh, Droopy Dog? He might have done it once. Uh, mostly the voice was done by an actor named Bill Thompson, who most people uh, might remember his voice in many, many Disney features like... Um, uh, he was the Cheshire Cat. Oh wait, wait, wait. Let me get. Maybe, wait, wait, wait. Hold it, hold it. He was. He was no. He was the uh, White Rabbit in uh, Alice in Wonderland, and um, uh, he was a great radio actor who did a lot of stuff. And, but Droopy is probably his most famous part. Well, yeah. on the subject of George of the Jungle, uh, Tom Slick, which was one of the characters, I think, on the George of the Jungle show. Yeah, if I have this right, it's it, yeah. Was Dawes Butler doing a crazy Guggenheim impression, Gilbert? Gilbert, <laughs> 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 uh, you're not going to sing the Tom Slick song? He doesn't know Tom that Slick. Tom Slick, know. Tom Slick, no. And don't Super Chicken, don't forget Super oh. Chicken. I was going to say and Super Chicken. Look also, at this. Jerry uh, super just pulled out his doll. Super Chicken doll. That's right. And do you remember Big Daddy Ed Roth? Sure. Of course. Yes. He designed cars. Yeah. Yes. He designed, and, and they yeah. were all those weird characters. Yeah, along like the, with the, the cars. The model, he did a lot of model kits. I'm not sure if he was, I remember the model kits you're talking about. You're talking about like, uh, you know, oh, man. Red Baron, Paddy yeah. Wagon. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Leaky Boat Louie was the one that I remember buying when I was a kid. Uh, the crazy things with big bloodshot eyes, mm -hmm. you know, anyway. That kind of thing. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Here's a segue because you're talking about uh, wacky cars, and this is a uh, Bill was saying certain shows stick in your head. Wacky races. Oh love yeah, love it, love it. From that's actually a pretty good show. Sixty-eight, yeah. and the, the and the brilliance of Paul Winchell is really on display. Yeah, uh, in in that show, and the, he was and Dick the, Dastardly. Yes, right. and the Dastardly and Muttley spinoff. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. but what, a, what a clever show. You know what's funny about that is that's one of those shows, and you could also put Scooby-Doo Laugh Olympics in the same category, and there's other shows, where it was basically the same premise every single week. <laughs> if you were watching Wacky Races, they had the same race every week, and yet you were glued to your TV. There was something magical about it, even though it was so repetitive. Yeah, but what happened with that show, it was actually a very expensive show because most cartoon shows in that period were trying to be as cheap as possible. And so one way to do that is to have the same characters in the same locations, it, like Augie Doggies in that house they live in, and that's all they'd really do. And in the case of uh, Wacky Races, they kind of uh, painted themselves, uh, no pun intended, into a corner because each episode is the same, but they were in a different location. They were yeah. always somewhere else. So yeah. they had to do new, new, you know, new layouts, new oh. paint jobs. Bill and so Joe it must have been furious. Money. They must yeah. have been furious. I, I remember <laughs> when they used to have the... Marvel comics. Oh, yeah. And those, they would have like a still picture of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, and somebody they'd shake wrote, somebody it around, wrote us about those. And they'd zoom the camera in and out on it. There would be no actual animation. <laughs> Hero. Right? Dr. Z, uh, Dr. Eric Z, MD, medical deviant. He's one of Gilbert's favorite listeners. Yes. He says, were there any cartoons more wretched and disappointing than those Marvel Comics 60 ones where they use still images and move the camera around? Yes. Was that Grant Ray Lawrence or? Uh, yeah, Gr Grant Ray Lawrence was a, a studio that did TV commercials, but they didn't do them the, anything that looked like Marvel superheroes. That was 
Obviously right. done at a very, very low, low, low budget. Strangely enough, Stan Lee was very much in charge of the uh, the dialogue. But then again, most of the show was taken right from the comic books. Exactly. There was a lyric in the Hulk series of that where yep. they'd say, Doc Bruce Banner jolted by gamma rays changes into the Hulk. And then they'd say, ain't he unglamorous? Yeah. And I don't but, even think that's a word. <laughs> very upsetting to me. But it, it rhymes. It rhymes, sort of, yeah. All one, right. of the, one of the great things you can ever see, and I love, I actually, you know, I love those cartoons. because Those I theme up with songs them. are great, Those though. theme songs are great, and the guy who wrote them, I think his name is Jack Erebon. Jack the only reason Erebon. I know this. That's right. And the only reason I know that is because he put out a video. It's yes. fantastic of yes, him it's singing on, it's on YouTube. each song. Oh, yeah, it's wow. on YouTube. And he sings them with such reverence, you know, yep. you know, yeah. uh, you know, like you say, Doc Bruce Banner. I mean, he's just he, he loves <laughs> when, every when word. Captain America throws his mighty shield. All and those I, who yeah. chose to oppose his shield must, must yield. yield. I wonder if yeah. Jack Urbant is still with us. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I let me let me plow through some of these. 16. No, I'm moving through the year. 69 was the, the debut of the Pink Panther uh, on TV. Uh, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, well, on, on TV. TV. On, on TV. Yeah. Uh, with our friend John Biner doing both the ant and oh, the art yeah. We had we had John here. It's also with Sid, the year Sid and Marty got into the act with Puffin stuff. Oh, I love that show. It was actually. moving into live action uh, <laughs> uh, stuff. We had we had them on this show as well. And boy, oh boy, are they fun. Yeah. Can I tell you something really quick about John Biner? The other night I watched on HBO. There's a there's a documentary about uh, Super Dave Osborne. Yeah, Bob, Bob Einstein. Really good. Right? So he's in that. John Biner's in that because one of uh, Bob Einstein's first jobs was working for uh, uh, for um, John oh, Biner. Bizarre, yeah. And for bizarre, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the thing I wanted to bring up was they're talking about where did Bob Einstein's genius come from, and Albert Brooks says I think it's from Looney Tunes. He goes, if you watch Dave uh, Super Dave Osborne, a lot of his moves and yeah, cuts are exactly like that. Looney Tunes. That's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. That's actually fascinating. It I may think there's very something well, to it, it. It may very well be. Here's a couple other ones. Uh, let's see. Uh, from 70. Uh, now, now, Jerry, my research was that parents group were complaining about uh, parents groups were complaining about violence yeah. by 1970, which which led to a, a phasing out of superhero and action theme shows. Right. And that year we got Sabrina, the Teenage Witch and the Groovy Ghoulies. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, the Bugaloos from Sid and Marty. Yeah, loved it. Uh, that was Josie, hot. Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, I, I like that one. One that Gilbert pleasured himself to. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and a personal favorite of this show, Lancelot Link, Secret, Secret Chimp. Chimp. Yes. <laughs> and Matahari, his with, girlfriend. With Dayton Allen doing a Bogart impression. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a that's above my pay grade. <laughs> So <laughs> I can't, can't there comment was, on that. There was also one right around that era called Electro Woman and Dyna Girl. Sure, oh, yeah. you bet. You that bet. was hot, too. Yeah. You bet. This 1970 brought, uh, uh, let's see, um, the debut of Will the Real Jerry Lewis Please Sit Down, which we talked about with David Lander, Squiggy, mm-hmm. doing, doing, providing Jerry's voice. And then in 71, uh, Bill brought up Funky Phantom. Uh, which had Mickey Dolenz in the right. cast. Yes. Yeah, and he did Matt, a lot of and those. Don, and Don Messick and Dawes Butler, the mm-hmm. debut of the Jackson 5 cartoon, Gilbert. Oh, yeah. Yes. Our, our friend Sally Struthers in the Pebbles and Bam Bam show. She was Pebbles. Yes. She told, she was us, kinda... she, she told us she used to goose Jay North while they were oh, doing really? the, the videos. <laughs> and Butch Patrick in Lidsville with, yeah. Char- with Charles Nelson Riley. And Jerry, Chuck Jones hosted a live-action education show that year called Curiosity Shop. Yeah, was he on screen? He was definitely the producer of that show. And uh, 
uh, that maybe was, produced, maybe he was actually in it. charge of the whole Saturday morning lineup that year, believe it or not. Unbelievable. Uh, very strange. And and uh, the uh, 72 gave us Osmonds, the Osmonds and the Brady kids. Everybody was waiting for those. Sure. And Bill, you got it. Amazing Chan and the Chan clan. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> How about that? That's that's when I started to lose interest. <laughs> <laughs> I hung in there for the Smurfs, you know, but that's about it. Frank, what you just said reminded me of something. This is the funniest thing my brother Adam has ever said in his life. We would every Saturday morning, we would never miss Scooby-Doo. And you know how ridiculous Scooby-Doo is. And then when Scrappy-Doo was added to the cast, my oh, brother God. stopped watching and I asked yeah. him why. And he goes, because now that Scrappy-Doo is on the show, it's kind of fakey. <laughs> Jerry, talk a little bit about meeting Bill and Joe because we both met them, uh, uh, Hannah and Barbara. I spent, I had the luxury uh, and the pleasure of spending two days with them, and I sang the Banana Splits theme in Joe's office. And that's him. what got you thrown out. Yes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he wanted to throw me out. But there, there, is there a Jack Nicholson story? Oh, yeah. Well, most people don't know that Jack Miss Nicholson's first job in the motion picture industry was as a gopher at the MGM studio for Bill and Joe and the cartoon unit in roughly 1955-56. 56 is when the studio completely closed, and then Hanna-Barbera went into TV cartoons. Uh, Nicholson went into AIP westerns and movies, and uh, Bill and Joe built their uh, TV career. So uh, when I one time interviewed Bill and Joe, I was talking to them. I said, do you have any... Did you ever run in in all of this time? Jack Nicholson's become a big movie star. This was about 20 years ago or more that I was I talked to them. And I said, do you ever run into him at like an industry function or something? Do they do you guys communicate? I just wondered what, if any relationship, you know, why didn't why didn't Jack Nicholson show up on Scooby Doo? Um, but um, uh, he said that uh, <laughs> or, one day, or, or, or at least Dennis Hopper. What, what, one day. Uh, so uh, Joe said. Uh, one day he was sitting at the Directors Guild in L.A. waiting for some screening of a movie to come on. And coming in in the row right in front of him and sitting right in front of him was Jack Nicholson. And he uh, he, he tapped him on the shoulder and he said something like, you know, hey, boy, or something like that. And Nicholson literally turned around and said, can I get you a Coke, Mr. Barbera? You know, and uh, that's my story. <laughs> that's a <laughs> you know, they, that's great. Did you know Beverly D'Angelo was a, was a storyboard artist at Hanna-Barbera? Really? <laughs> I did not know Very that. Very early in her career? Yes, I did she, not know that. And she told us on this show. Hanna-Barbera, they worked in the same building, but they had separate flaws and wouldn't speak to each other. Toward the yeah. end. Yeah. I don't think they hated each other. I think they just had different personalities. I mean, to be honest, I think they just, they just were not people who were going to be best friends you know, off camera, so to speak. But yeah, there's there's a little bit of uh, Fred Nethel there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe's a wonderful character. Gene uh, Beretta, can you guys talk a little bit about old uh, cartoon hosts that showed up in local markets? We did that before. I can't remember names, but Philly had one for the Three Stooges cartoons, and they even threw in some Doodles Weaver shorts. Oh, yeah. Bill, I heard you eulogizing on one of your shows, Tom Hatton, out, yes. of, L out of L.A., yeah. who's another person he worth mentioning. You know, it, there was a time where, I don't know, you might have had 30, 40, 50 of these hosts from coast to coast. Uh, more times than not, it was a localized show. It didn't run nationally, so only people in that particular city would know them. But it was commonplace for every major city had one or two or sometimes three of them. Yeah. And Tom Hatton was an actor. He was a an artist. And he apparently, I think most of these hosts, I could say the same thing that based on the ones I've met, 
uh, he really loved these cartoons. I mean, they loved these things. They, and they knew about them. And they knew a little bit of the history. And they would, they would tell the kids, you know, about what they were and who they are. That reminds me of when you were saying before a lot of these uh, older TV cartoons you couldn't pitch today. But I keep thinking about Popeye. Imagine that, walking into Nickelodeon and trying to pitch, <laughs> you know, a 40-year-old, you know, grizzled guy with one eye, punched clothes. He's got a pipe in his mouth because he's smoking. I mean, anyway. You'd never be able to get that on the air. <laughs> well, he's got a tattoo. You wouldn't tattoo. be able to get. You wouldn't be able to get. Any he, any punches people. You know. You know, Bill. When I watch those cartoons, and and I I know that one of the things you wanted to talk about was sort of the decline. Yeah. Uh, of the of the quality and the, de- the the decline of the quality of the the art and the production. When you watch some of those Fleischer cartoons that you guys show on the show, they're they're beautiful to look at. I am they're, stunned. They're slices of heaven. Oh, they're, they're just perfect. And there's so much going on in every part of the frame. There's no downtime in any of these cartoons. And, uh, you know, it, it's little things. I'll use this as an example. If Popeye's driving a car and he hits a bump, he pops up way in the air and then he lands back in the car and he keeps on driving. Right. There's just those little details that as animation has progressed, I will use that <laughs> word incorrectly. Right. They wouldn't show that anymore. It's a waste of time. Just get from point A to point B. Get them there. That's it. Right. And there right. was something kind of like nightmarish about sure. the Fleischer ones. Something yes. was. a little disturbing. There, yeah. there was. They were the the anti-Disney uh, intentionally, I think, back then. They were produced in New York City in Times Square, believe it or not, the, the Fleischer studio, whereas Disney was in sunny California. It was two different points of view. Uh, the Fleischers are very, you know, streetwise. And They're, I remember yeah. hearing... Uh, Betty Boop originally was a girl dog. And yeah. then, then they changed it to a girl, but the boyfriend they kept as a dog. So so this girl was uh was going out with a dog. <laughs> you know, we, sure. What's more New York than that? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember which one it was, Bill, but it's Popeye winds up underwater. He's he's trapped underwater, and the animation is just beautiful. Yeah, the bubbles. And, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, the, and and the detail. And when you watch those those old Fleischer Supermans, oh, you yeah. can't believe the amount of effort and 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 craftsmanship. <laughs> Well, they they really uh, they were Superman was a big fad, uh, you know, in 1938, 39, 40, 41. It was it was one of the biggest things in the country. It had a radio show almost the next year, 39, uh, for the next 10 or 15 years. They had a a big radio show, which later became the movie serials and the TV shows. Uh, Superman was just a gigantic character that we don't even as big as Superman still is. We don't grasp how big of a character he was. He literally started the comic book business. So when uh, there was a bidding war for the rights to Superman uh, in the movies, well, I wish they had made a live action movie back then, but they mm-hmm. uh, it ended up with Paramount, a big studio, Paramount Pictures, bought at great expense, gave, gave the uh, uh, Superman character to the Fleischer studio. The Fleischers were in the midst of doing Gulliver's Travels, their feature film. Um, they were competing with Disney. Uh, when those cartoons came out in 41, the first one, to me, that's the golden age. They talk about 1939 for feature films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1941, 42 for animated cartoons. Every studio is at their top of their game. Amazing stuff. I am very proud to say, uh, as of yesterday, we at uh, Tune In With Me have the rights to the Fleischer Superman cartoons. And hey, we'll be showing them on our show. So that's an announcement. Oh, very that's happy. wonderful news. You're, yeah. we're, making, we're, we're making news here. Yep. And the funny thing, getting back to Betty Boop, 
how sexual that cartoon was. <laughs> Very like, much so. Yeah. yeah. I Very mean, it much. was amazing. I remember That's... this one where she's doing like a striptease on stage or something, and the audience is made up of animals. <laughs> and they're all hooting and hollering. <laughs> You know how animals are. That's very New York. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, those were pre-code. I mean, most of the hot Betty Boop cartoons, Betty's reputation are from the ones from 1930 through 33 or 34. Then the production code came in. They had to clean up her act. They gave her Grampy and a little dog named Pudgy, and she became very domesticated. But, uh, but before that, uh, the cartoons are... But look at in Popeye, Jerry, they've never really said where Sweepy's origin is. We know that Olive Oil's his mom, but the father is a little, uh, you know, bleary. Exactly. I don't don't even know if uh, I couldn't I couldn't confess to to knowing that uh, that Olive Oil's his mom. I don't even know if that's been established. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He's a foundling. I think there's a point in in some tune in with me episodes uh, Bill, where you'll 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 just stop and talk about things like memory, wonderful <laughs> memories, things like Lincoln Logs. Yes, yeah. you know, is 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 that kind of a uh, an excuse for you to talk about things that that you're in love with, things from your personal collection? You know, some of the writers said we we do a thing on Friday called Fantastic Friday, and Fridays are paced differently than the rest of the week mm-hmm. because on Friday we we said we want the show to be more the decision of the viewers, like you pick the cartoons. Uh, you write us some letters and we'll read you the letters. Um, and one of the writers suggested, uh, because of my collection, every Friday bring in something from the collection based on what the people want to see. So people write in and they say, do you have any monster collectibles? Or I used to watch this cartoon mm. or this show. Do you have anything? Please bring it in. And people have loved it. You know, it's a lot of, again, it's a memory from your childhood. Oh, I had that as a kid or I wanted that when I was a boy or a girl. And he's got it. Let's take a look at it. So it's fun. That that Aurora uh, set, the the Aurora monster set. That, that oh uh, yeah, that I, that yeah, I, that I had all of those. Really, beautiful. oh man, really. So beautiful. I got the display. It's I used display. to see this Gilbert. when I was a kid. It, 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 there was a shopping center near me called Ford City, and the the pennies, the JC pennies, had this in their toy department. It was this dungeon, and then all the monsters were set up in the dungeon. You couldn't buy the dungeon; it was just for a display. But I looked for it, and I looked for it, and I looked for it, and I finally got it. It's one of my favorite pieces. Uh, um, next time you oh, come back, we'll go, we'll go through when the collection. The Aurora model monster models made the uh, monsters in cars. Yes, yes. That was yep. boy, was that a ripoff? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, here's another question from a listener, David C. Smith. Uh, can Jerry or Bill tell us about the wonder of Synchrovox? Well, that's uh, Synchrovox was the patented technique of that studio that did, uh, you know, Clutch Cargo and Space Angel and Captain Fathom. They had actually several of these shows. That's the, you know, still picture drawing with live action lips. And um, that was their innovation. Every cartoon producer of the 1950s, when TV suddenly started paying for some animation, uh, they were doing a big race to who can do the cheapest Thing. The producers wanted to produce the cheapest possible cartoons because the money wasn't really there. Um, and so almost every studio had their own crazy, wacky idea of what to do. And that included things like, uh, you know, just farming out animation to other countries and, you know, just all sorts of things. But uh, uh, Synchrovox, um, well, my good friend, she's still alive. She's in her 90s, Margaret Carey. She's an actress. Uh, to go, I can go on and on about her career. She's 
been on everything, including the Andy Griffith show and when she wow. was younger. And uh, she was on The Lone Ranger. She was in the original Little Rascals in very small parts. And uh, she was also the, the actress model for Peter Pan for the Disney studio and, and many other credits. And she married a guy who was in the TV business and he was interested in, in uh, producing cartoons. And they came up with this crazy idea. And, um, uh, and she was the one, she would sit in this chair, bolted in like an electric chair, where they'd photograph her mouth uh, for all the characters. So it's a, it's a woman's mouth on clutch cargo, uh, even if it was a male, you know, dubbing in the actor. And it's, she's the voice of any female. She's the woman in those Three Stooges cartoons. Remember, they, those start off and ended with live action, new footage of the Three Stooges? Yes, yeah. Right, remember that? And, yeah. Uh, the, if there's ever a scene where they're you know they're going out to eat or they're visiting the dentist, if there's ever a woman in any of those, and there's usually only one woman, it's Margaret Carey. She's because uh, she was the producer's wife, and uh, she told me all about doing that stuff. And she's living still in Florida. By the way, and by she's the way a great people person. in animation seem to live forever. Ruthie Thompson, the Disney animator, just died at 111. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. Unbelievable. Do you, do you guys remember on Clutch Cargo at the beginning, they'd say Clutch Cargo with his pal Spinner and Paddlefoot. Yes. And I'd always say, sure, that's believable. A grown man would pal around with a five-year-old boy and his dog. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> of course. I get it. Bill, before we get out of here, let's shout out some of the uh, some of your colleagues on, on, on TuneIn with me. It's a show that's clearly a Valentine to the past and a labor of love like this podcast. Uh, Ke- Kevin Fleming, Mr. Quizzer, and I love his extra long Gene Rayburn mic. Yes. <laughs> Isn't and, that great? Uh, and Layla, Layla's, how she Layla Gorstein. Layla Gorstein and uh, anybody else deserving of kudos uh, for, for know, bringing, the, bringing this show to life every week. It's, it's such a fun little party. I have to say I've been blessed and given a couple of cast members and certainly all the people behind the scenes who are just so passionate about their work and so good at what they do. And it really, it's one of those jobs that you pinch yourself and you go, I can't believe I'm doing this because this is just so much fun. And hopefully that carries over. But yeah, the two people you just mentioned are, are, are certainly uh, forces to be reckoned with in this business. They're both going to go on to very big things in their careers. I'm positive. It's a fun show. And I also want to shout out Mike Schmiedler. Uh, am I saying his name right? Yeah, Mike Schmiedler is the showrunner and our producer and director, and he does an amazing job. And Brenda Lowry, who pulled this whole thing together and was extreme and had the patience of a saint, yeah, uh, as she waited me out and waited out the holidays, and uh, and I'm really glad we finally uh, put this one together. And Gilbert and I are suckers for anybody in a gorilla suit. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, by the way, <laughs> what is who is Sven Tooney? I did not see the Sven Tooney episode. All right, so Sven Tooney is our tribute to our friend Sven Gulli, who who also tapes a show here at MeTV. So uh, Sven uh, our Tooney, our tuna fish on the show, is an admirer of his and does his own horror show called Sven Tooney. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Oh, so, and yeah. what can you tell us about May Quetzel? Quest- Quest- May Quetzel. Yeah, yeah, she was a great... Uh, what a great voice. Fantastic. Uh, what a career. She was in Funny Girl and... Uh, wasn't she in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, I think? I and, think she and was. She was in New York Stories. Right. Woody, Woody Allen's Allen. movie. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and because she was Aunt Bluebell or whatever for the, the paper towels in the in the 60s. And anyway, she was great. She was a performer who did that act, you know, that same Helen Kane act and uh, got the gig. And 
it lasted her whole life. She was Betty Boop in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. She, huh? uh, you know, that, that obviously the last thing she did. Uh, but uh, uh, she was also Little Audrey in all those cartoons. She was Olive Oil, obviously. Um, uh, and on and on and on. Um, uh, I met her once, a sweetheart, a wonderful person. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I love watching it for her or hearing her voice. She's in a lot of old commercials, too. So, um, uh, Jerry, you met, you met everybody in this business. And, and tell us, before we get out of here, tell us one thing about the great Chuck Jones or, or, or Clampett or, or Bob oh, Clampett. Two, two, guys, two guys you, you knew. Two, uh, le- they, two legends. They were, they were real people. They were people whose names I knew and grew up with seeing their names. And on, you knew Frizz on, Freeling, too. Yeah, yeah. No. I got to meet Frizz in his, in his uh, condo. Uh, in LA. Um, no, they were, they were, they were, they were great. They were real. Um, uh, Clampett is, is Clampett was one of us. That's the thing that I got. And not that the other guys weren't, but Clampett was a fan of, of animation cartooning. He loved what he did himself, but he collected all the artwork at the studio and kept it. Uh, I love that he did that. Um, uh, I don't have any funny stories. I think they're just uh, great Great guys. They all, you know, they all had different egos about what they were doing. I think one of the things that made the Warner cartoons great was they were kind of all competing with themselves. You know, they didn't get the feedback that we get, the instant feedback. Today we have, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Uh, they, they barely got fan mail back in those days. They were making these cartoons because they wanted to make themselves or their their companions laugh. Always, uh, always, always a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. When, when creating comedy. Okay, last question before I uh, before we go back to Gilbert and and uh, uh, let me. Uh, this is a bit of a cliched question, but one desert island cartoon for each of you. Oh God, that you have to take with you and watch over and over and over. <laughs> Gilbert, do you want to you want to uh, chime in as well? Oh, would it I be bu- Would it be bugs trying to dig Elmer's grave? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, I I do like, and even though. Bugs is uh, the old Bugs Bunny, the freakish one. I I like the one because I love the closing title, the closing line, because uh, it's supposed to be that Elmer Fudd uh, goes crazy or something, and they keep telling him, now repeat after me, oh, yeah. I am Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. <laughs> And then they do something where they switch them, and the the uh, these guys go, "Which one of you is Elmer J. Fudd?" And Bugs Bunny goes, "I am Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht." <laughs> and they say, "Well, we're putting you away for owing uh, the tax department millions of dollars." And Elmer Fudd at the end says. I may be a squooey wabbit, but I ain't going to Alcatraz. <laughs> what, what, what cartoon is that, Jerry? Oh, you, you, finally, I'm getting stumped. Uh, I know okay. it's off the top of my head. It's Frizz Freeling and directed it. Frizz Freeling. And it's great. It's oh. one of those cartoons that the title has nothing to do with the plot. Yeah. You know? I, I, yeah. There's I, many of those. Try to tell me, like, what the, a Roadrunner cartoon. They all None of the titles have anything to do with I'm going to jump like in. the titles of most uh, Three Stooges. That's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to jump in, too, here and pick a cliche, uh, make a cliched choice. I'm all about cliches tonight and pick one froggy evening because uh, I'm, a Chuck, a good one. I'm a Chuck Jones guy. Oh, yeah. And to me, the timing, 
the 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 deadpan, everything about that cartoon clicks. It, it, it's a symphony. Yeah, 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 I agree. Oh, by the way, I just found it really fast. It's it's hairbrush. Hairbrush, Gil. He happens to have that at his fingertips. I happen to have it, yes. Jerry, oh, you're a miracle man. Here's something else. I heard the studio put all their money into Mr. Bugs Goes to Town. Okay. Mr. Hoppity Goes to Town Mr. or Mr. Hop- Bugs? Maybe no, it was no. Mr. Oh, was all it right. Mr. Hmm. Let me allow me to straighten it out. Okay. No, uh, it's a Fleischer studio. It's the second animated feature they made after uh, Gulliver's Travels. Paramount put a lot of money because Gulliver made a fortune. Uh, they put a lot of money in their next feature, which was uh, uh, came out in America as Mr. Bug Goes to Town. It was supposed to be like a Frank Capra film. That was the idea of it. Oh. And uh, it was released around the world as Hoppity Goes to Town. And it's still in circulation that way. Um, uh the film is is great. It's actually a great Fleischer. Uh, if 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 BTV ever runs features, you should definitely seek this film. Paramount owns it, and they restored it recently. Uh, and um, the uh, the thing about it was, it's a very good film. It just had happened to have the misfortune of being released like on December sixth, you know, nineteen forty one, like the day before Pearl Harbor, and so nobody cared anymore. You know, it's like Pearl Harbor Day. The world's going to war, and this movie tanked. It was playing with, you know, Hopalong Cassidy movies is a double bill, you know, in about a month. So, uh, uh, and it was kind of forgotten for years and decades later. But it's, uh, it's, it was shown on TV a lot when we were kids, and uh, uh, it's been, it's pretty inspirational to a lot of people actually. So, movie I mean, worth seeking there out. There you go, Gil. Okay, yeah. you guys get, you guys aren't getting off the hook. What's your desert, your your single desert island oh, cartoon? Man. Jerry, know, go ahead. I know it's impossible, Jerry, but well, humor, not humor me. Yeah, I know. It, it is impossible for me. I love so many of the cartoons. Quite frankly, that first Superman cartoon, well, I think I'm, I was going to give you a Bugs Bunny, but you know what? I'm going to go with that first Superman cartoon, the one with him and a mad scientist oh. and the, le- the electrothunasia ray and uh, it has a big ray gun, a death ray, and it, it, it's a little corny here and there. There's a, The building kind of moves like butter. It kind of falls, and Superman has to has to erect it up again. But um, the animation in it is fantastic. The, one of the best things in it is the musical score in that film. When, when they play it on MeTV, just listen to the music on that film. I know the um, one you mean. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just amazing. It's the first one. So they actually draw the character to look a little bit like the, uh, the Siegel and Schuster comics of the day mm-hmm. uh, before they standardized his model uh, and all that. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little mini feature film. Um, by the way, it's, uh, here's a real ridiculous trivia question or answer. Uh, uh, it's the only cartoon, short cartoon ever, at least back then. I don't think anybody's ever done it since. That They actually made a trailer. They, they made a trailer for the Superman cartoon for the first one. That's that incredible. That played in movie theaters. It's online. Somebody found it. And it's uh, – uh, that no Disney never did that. You know, that's pretty crazy. But that's how big Superman was that they wanted people to know. That's a, you that's a see great this. choice, by the way. It's a great answer yeah. to the question. Yeah. Okay, okay, William, William Leff. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right. Um, there's. Did you know, Gilbert, you know that William and uh, William is his first name and his middle name? No. All right, William, so it, 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 isn't, it isn't really. I was joking around on the show once, and oh, I said. I bought it. We said, 
Yeah, my mom got to pick my first name and my dad got to pick my middle name and they both like the same name. And I said it as a joke and then it was all over the internet. <laughs> Can't trust know. that goddamn internet. Oh, it's the worst. All right, so for me, this is very, very obscure, but about 30 years ago, uh, England, not everyone in England, but the animators of England, uh, made a movie called The Snowman, which is about 25 or 30 minutes. It's an animated short called The Snowman. Yeah. And for the reasons that were just mentioned about the score, the music is stunning. It's a, just a beautiful piano playing throughout. There's little to no dialogue in the entire cartoon. It's just about a kid and a snowman. And it, it's so touching and moving. And the music just makes you so emotional. It, it's, it's flawless. I've seen it so many times and I just love it. Good, you know good it, answer. Jerry, you're waving. I know your... it. My, my it's my wife's favorite cartoon. Good it's answer. Made in, I believe it was made in England. Yeah. Uh, Raymond Briggs is the cartoonist, and in animation circles, it's considered a classic too. Yeah, it's so oh, good. Oh, and what did the two of you think of Fantasia? Well, there? well, I love Fantasia. Now I think when I saw it when I was like nine, it bored me out of my skull. You know, at the time, but I've grown to love it. I actually show uh, it in my animation history class that I teach and I show it every year to my students and it's it's a tour de force it's an amazing thing there's a big story behind uh, Fantasia that we won't waste our time with here but uh Disney had bigger plans it wasn't just going to be the way you see it it was going to be it was going to be road showed in a very special way it was the first film to use stereo stereophonic soundtrack and um it's a masterpiece of animation it's not commercial and it was a flop it was Disney's first big flop in its day, but it uh, it made its money back in the psychedelic 60s when they, you know, they reissued it as a head picture, get stoned and watch this. And it made a fortune. And that's been, a, uh, you know, considered one of the great Disney classics ever since. But it's uh, it's it's. Is there a specific question about it? Because the whole film no, is, no, is good. No, no, Gil Gilbert likes yeah. to keep the show going seven oh. times after oh. I say As we wind down, I just want to say one thing here, guys, and I think you'll agree with me on this. Let, let, let's all take a moment to praise and remember the work and the talents of, of these great artists who gave us decades and decades of pleasure and happiness. Uh, Chuck Jones, Bob Clampett, Fris Freeling, Tex Avery, Paul Terry, uh, Bill Hannett and Joe Barbera, Jay Ward. Max and Dave Fleischer, Bill Scott, June Foray, Doug Wildey, Jack Mercer, uh, we'll throw Sid and Marty in there, Mel Blank, Dawes Butler, Don Messick, Paul Fries, Carl Stalling, Hoyt Curtin, throw in Gary Owens and Paul Winchell, and the list could go on and on and on. But these are these are people that that help make our lives so much more enjoyable as as kids. I think we're I think we're really indebted to them for the the gifts they gave us. Would you agree? No question. Those are just giants among giants, every one of those names you mentioned. And a lot of times, you know, as a kid, you maybe maybe you don't pay special attention to the credits. They just kind of fly by. But take some take some moment to, to just enjoy the people who made them for you. Yeah. Look them up. Do, do, do the research. It's, it's rewarding. And final question. Is Iago the greatest animated character <laughs> in, in the history of Disney? In the history. Yep, absolutely. Yes, no question. There you go, Gil. <laughs> Nothing but honesty from these two. Yes. <laughs> now, if you had mentioned the character in Thumbelina, that, yeah. would, that would be different. What about now, Jerry the button, the, the belly button elf that he played on Ren and Stimpy? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and uh, uh, Digit the Bird and Cyber Chase. <laughs> Okay. All amazing. 
Gil, Gil, you were you were you were you were you were up here and now you're down here. Yeah. yeah. The, the producers of the Beatles cartoons are calling. Yes. <laughs> Guys, come, come back and we'll do more another time. Excellent. Anytime. Bill, Bill Anytime. wanted to talk about the old uh, Friday night uh, primetime preview shows that they don't do oh, anymore. Yeah. The fall previews will do that next time, and we'll get into a lot of other stuff. But th- this was a blast, and it's just fun to remember. It is. Thank you so much, guys. This was so much fun. Oh, thank, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you this for has all been you've Gilbert done. Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've joined uh, Jerry Beck and Bill Lepp in our time machine back to the golden age of Saturday morning TV. Gilbert, that was a lovely closer. See? <laughs> <laughs> T- take I'm not sa- stupid. I'm smart. <laughs> not, not like what people say. Take- I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> a movie turning 50 in a couple of weeks, by the way. Really? How about that? We're going to have to do a Godfather episode. Take take us out with a little Roger Ramjet reprise. Where Roger Ramjet and his <laughs> eagles fighting for a freedom. We fly with him through outer space not to join him but to feed him. Roger Ramjet, he's our man. Hero of our nation. For more adventures, just make sure to stay tuned to this station. Beautiful. Good night, everybody. Show.